From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. All right. Welcome back to Political Theater. Tuesday's primaries in especially New York, but across the country, provided us a lot of fodder to look at as political analysts. These are some fairly big deal races uh, that not all of them were especially competitive, but they do signal some changes that are worth a second look. Uh, Roll Call's election analyst and the publisher of Inside Elections, Nathan Gonzalez, joins us. Nathan, let's look at some of these races and welcome. Oh, thank you. It sounds great. Unlimited sleep. Unlimited. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. Um, so let's start with New York. The big, you know, the the big headline coming out of Tuesday's primary in New York was that Joe Crowley, uh, a Democrat from Queens, he's, he was he's serving his tenth term. He was seeking uh, renomination, and he lost his primary to uh, someone who, who may just get a, a nickname in terms of initials, AOM, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, or AOC, sorry, AOC. Um, so this, this woman is 28 years old. She was a Bernie Sanders uh, organizer in New York. She ran a sort of avowedly... Uh, progressive slash liberal slash socialist campaign, uh, Medicare for all, abolishing uh, ICE, uh, and so forth. She's Puerto Rican. Last year, she was tending bar. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. she 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 is, doesn't fit the uh, profile necessarily of somebody who would pose a, a a real threat to somebody who's in leadership. But she won. Yeah, and it's remarkable that there are a lot of people uh, after the election that said, "Well, of course, Joe Crowley lost uh, more people <laughs> than before the, the the votes were actually counted." Uh, I think this was a legitimate surprise. I think it was a, a shocker, um, you know, not just because he's a long time incumbent, but because he had his eye on on a higher leadership role, right. you know, potentially speaker if Democrats win the majority. And so there was a lot going on, and uh, I find it remarkable that Democrats. Uh, on on primary night were kind of dismissive. I, I think it's a I think it's a big deal for the Democratic Party, uh, but they're dismissive and said, well, the district, the demographics of the district have changed and, and sort of left uh, him behind. And but I I think this isn't in a vacuum. Right. I think you, when you add in Bernie Sanders' challenge to Hillary Clinton, when you add in I believe the 63 House Democrats who voted against Nancy Pelosi for the in the last leadership race, mm-hmm. when you add in the open criticism of the DCCC from both current members and from candidates, I think this is just more of a, a fading of the Democratic establishment or the mm-hmm. power of the Democratic establishment. And I think that's just going to continue to manifest itself uh, this cycle and going into 2020. So let's talk a little bit about Crowley's district. It's, it's Queens and the Bronx. He came to Congress in 1998 as a 36-year-old, you know, kind of up-and-comer in Queens. Uh, he was the Queens chairman, uh, Queensboro Democratic chairman. So, and and kind of almost the archetype of the backslapping Irish Paul, you know, like a, a, somebody who, you know, would not have been out of place uh, either in Tammany Hall, and not, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but like in, in the sort of cozy political environs of New York. He had spent some money on this primary. I mean, he, he acknowledged, too, that the, the district was a majority-minority now. It was not Archie Bunker's district by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to be, you know, aware that this that there was some sort of threat, but it did 
I mean, the, the, the margin of victory surprised me, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a huge turnout, but it wasn't super close. Right. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a nail-biter. What, what stuck out to, stuck out to me as I watched their New York One debate, I mean, the New York Times criticized him for not showing up to a couple of debates and mm-hmm. sending a surrogate. Um, I watched the New York One debate as he was about to lose uh, last night. And what, a few things stuck out to me. One is that his uh, Crowley's message was about standing up to Trump and being mm-hmm. against President Trump. It was about the uh, it being necessary for Democrats to win back the House and how important that was. But her message against him was very personal. In terms of personal to him, it was about what have you done for us for 20 years? Right. Um, you you living your kids your in kids, Northern Virginia schools. Yeah, right. not being in the district, uh, taking corporate PAC money. It was very specific. And, uh, and she had said before the election how she changed her message a little bit from being explicitly against Trump to focusing on issues because when she talks about issues. It's time we acknowledge that not all Democrats are the same. That a Democrat who takes corporate money, profits off foreclosure, doesn't live here, doesn't send his kids to our schools, doesn't drink our water or breathe our air, cannot possibly represent us. What the Bronx and Queens needs is Medicare for all, tuition-free public college, a federal jobs guarantee, and criminal justice reform. We can do it now. There's an implicit, uh, it's, it's implicit that she's not with the president. Right. And I thought it was a remarkable contrast. And looking back, I still don't know if that would have been enough to be predictive of a loss. But I think it's, it will be interesting to see how many candidates try to go with her blueprint. Everyone wants to be a winner, so they pick the latest winner and try to replicate right. it, and we'll see what that looks like over the next few months. Yeah, I was struck by, you know, the, the advertising that both candidates, you know, ran. I mean, Crowley's was very much, um, look at me, I love everybody, everybody loves me. He had, like, this 80-year-old or some, you know, this elderly woman from Columbia talking about how, you know, he had helped her when her son had been, you know, the victim of a hate crime. Um, you know, it, it, he you know played the guitar, which is his his kind of thing. He's a big Springsteen fan, um, and and it was a good ad. And then you see um, uh, Ocasio Cortez's ad, <laughs> and it was even more remarkable. You know, it was this long sort of intro of her, and you know, it's like I'm not the type of person who should be running necessarily. I mean, she sort of gets that out of the way right away, and then and then it just sort of builds, and the music builds. The production values are really good. It's time for one of us. Vote for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on June 26th. And then it ends with, they have money, we have people, Mm -hmm. which is almost like a version of of some of the stuff that Trump was saying in 2016, Mm -hmm. which is that, like, I'm running against the establishment. You know, Hillary Clinton, of course, is going to raise all this money, but, like, I have you, I have the people. And so, again, it's populism. You know, it it, it is this, like, tapping into we have a movement here where this is about more than just me. And I thought it was funny because I was sort of making fun of former Congressman Michael Grimm running in the – trying to come back in the 11th district. And he said that Dan Donovan, the congressman, you know, he's got all the endorsements. You know, I have the people. (laughs) And that turned out to be about 30 – 35% 35% percent, right. percent in the 11th <laughs> district. But then when you looked at uh, Ocasio-Cortez's race, she said she has the people and she won by double digits. So right. I can't quite – I didn't. I don't know if I should put that on things losing candidates say quite yet uh, since, since she won. It is also – I mean like getting back to this idea of the, the establishment, I mean the, the, the grim Dan Donovan race. I mean this is a Republican race. And, you know, it, yes, Grimm is, by, by definition, I guess, not the establishment anymore because he's not in office and he's a convicted felon. Uh, by the way. <laughs> um, and 
and he you know certainly has his his problems but i mean these were two guys you know sort of seasoned going at one another donovan had the president's backing strong backing uh, t- toward the end of it um, Grimm had the Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, who who uh, was was on the trail with him, and wasn't able to you know sort of translate that into some sort of populist wave. And, and I'm old enough to remember when Steve Bannon, Michael Grimm, and Steve Bannon were shaking hands at a townhouse, I think here in D.C., and Grimm was going to walk through you know this primary, and that's that's why we play the race, we'll, we'll play that's the what, game, and, and that's let why it play they have out. the election. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they have the ele- election. Let's go ahead and have the voters vote and see what they think. Uh, another thing about you know again establishment versus you know basically new faces. I don't know if it's insurgent so much as that, I mean, these people don't seem like they're, you know, they don't, they don't have torches in the streets or anything like that. I mean, they're, but they're just, it's obviously they're tapping into a hunger for new leadership. The DCCC, the, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee also got in some other races in New York, uh, in a competitive primary uh, in, in Syracuse, they're, they're, they're um, targeting John Faso there. Uh, they thought that they, you know, had a, a good candidate, somebody who'd lost the mayoral race in Syracuse. Uh, yeah. in, in, Whose uh, ex-husband lost in the primary last right. cycle, right. which I, I learned and from. And so they place. jumped in, and she just got creamed. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. I, oh, Juanita Perez-Williams? Uh, yes, Juanita Perez-Williams. So, so now, you know, she has two big losses in, in that area. You know, again, in hindsight, you say, like, why would you back, like, a losing candidate? And what, what, is, the, what is the lesson there with the uh, C that they're getting involved in a race where, they couldn't even make it close. Uh, I mean, I don't think they went in thinking they were backing a losing candidate. I mean, I, you know, they make calculations and, and strategists on both sides make calculations about, OK, who who is going to put our party in the best uh, opportunity or the best place to succeed? Or you look at it from an investment standpoint, because later down the line, they're going to decide uh, where they're going to invest millions of dollars in campaign ads and they want a vehicle in place that they trust and believe in. And uh, that obviously came up, was very wrong in, right. in New York 24. Uh, I'm sure that the the party will take a fresh look at it at all these races post-primary, but defeating John Kacko was always going to be difficult. And that's why in talking with one Democratic source, you know, why kind of get, why take the risk of losing when you know, even if you win that primary, that it's going to be an uphill battle. You know, why why pick that fight? Um, but it's, it was, I don't think that's a must win seat for Democrats to right. win the majority, uh, but it's just another mess. And I think it's, an, it could hurt the DCCC down the line in that people aren't afraid right. of the DCCC or opposing the DCCC. And they can even run against the DCCC. And I think that'll we'll see that over the next cycle or so. I'm, I'm glad you, you, uh, you corrected the record that it's John Katko, not John Faso. Oh, they're, they're, there they're, was they're a primary there, too. Yeah. I think John Faso is, is considerably more vulnerable <laughs> uh, than John than John Katko. But uh, it is Katko in the, in the 24th in the Syracuse district. Right. Um, so also... I mean, Democrats say that they are targeting all nine Republicans in the House delegation in in New York. That that's a fairly tall order. It's also, you know, it, I guess it's not unheard of that you would try to pump the troops up by saying, you know, we're going after everybody, nobody's safe. And also, it, it's within recent memory that there almost were no Republicans in the in the New York like Peter House King delegation. In the yeah. Table for yeah. one, yeah. 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 It, it, <laughs> In 2010, going into the election year, it was 27 to 2 <laughs> uh, for Democrats and, and Republicans. And then Chris Lee pulled his shirt off for Craigslist and, and resigned, and they had a vacancy. <laughs> and, and Peter King was the lone ranger, you know, in representing the, the, the GOP flag in, in his uh, Long Island-based district. Uh, it's just it's, – so fortunes can – and that was eight years ago. So fortunes can change quickly in this state. Yeah, I mean, there's, at this point, there's really – there's still no risk in a party saying they're targeting races. I mean, right. they could say they're targeting uh, now over 100 races. There's not 
it doesn't really matter in terms of, but now, but as we get closer to election day, they're going to have to put money. They're going to decide where, where are we going to put ad reservations? And I think that's a real indicator of the, of the legitimate opportunities. I don't think they're going to end up advertising against nine Republicans, but uh, there's really no harm in saying they're going to come after, come after them and try to boost fundraising. Crowley's loss obviously upends a lot of the Democratic leadership picture. Um, this isn't the first time a leader ha- has lost. I mean, it was only four years ago that Eric Cantor lost, you know, almost in, in the same similar fashion to a, a, a candidate that people didn't really take all that seriously um, in a low turnout election and just totally caught him off guard. Uh, I don't even think he was in the district uh, when it happened. And, uh, you know, but and even that, I mean, Tom Daschle lost in 2004 to John Thune uh, in, a, in a tough general election race. Tom Foley, who was Speaker of the House at the time, lost his 1994 race. Um, so these things happen, and people always fill into the void. I mean, I was struck by, you know, what now for the Democrats? And it's like, well, you know, they're, I don't think the Democratic Party is going to go away anytime soon. It might not make, you know, particularly – you could make a good decision or a bad decision <laughs> depending on your, your perspective, but it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, and the race was already a little bit chaotic or uncertain. Uh but I think there is a vacuum. It's going to be filled, you know, whether it ends up being a Seth Moulton or something. I, you know, it's a, I guess that's a question for him whether he wants to run for president or run for run for leader or not. But yeah, I think we just have to wait for the dust. Uh, you know, I'm content just waiting for the dust to settle a little bit and see who pops their head out, and and we'll see how it goes. It, it's interesting you you mentioned Moulton because he actually did some campaigning in New York. He's uh... From Massachusetts, he's a veteran. Uh, he was one of the folks who backed Tim Ryan against Nancy Pelosi in the last Democratic leadership election. But he's starting to dabble a little bit in electoral politics, campaigning for for candidates he thinks are right, like that are far from Massachusetts. Um, this could add up to something he could move up in leadership, or as you said, he could run for president. I mean, one of the best ways to, I guess, increase your influence within the caucus is to help your help people get elected mm-hmm. or get reelected. And I think he's one of the members who has been active and putting his own personal capital and time and energy on the line in order to help help people win. And uh, that could pay off in a certainly pay off in a leadership race. So overall, what's your takeaway from, you know, a, a fairly significant night, especially in New York? I, I think the, the Crowley loss is a, a good example of brings a level of humility, another level of humility to this kind of the handicapping or prognosticating that, you know, surprises happen. Uh, and but at the same time, that doesn't mean that no one is safe and everyone is going to lose. We're talking about the third incumbent, the cycle, who has lost in a primary. This is a very small number. Uh, but this is we're still in, in some uncertain times and members should be taking the races seriously. Well, I think that's a good spot to end on. Thank you very much, Nathan, for breaking down the races for us. Anytime. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com. You can check out Nathan's 10 one-liners from last night's primaries. It's on RollCall.com, or you can follow us at RollCall. Thanks for listening.